0: Hi, this is Rachel on Recovery. We're here with Mike Leake. He's going to tell us a little bit about himself, and he's going to answer some questions for us. So, Mike, tell us some something about yourself.
1: Uh, yes, I am a uh, pastor in uh, Southwest Missouri. Uh, I pastor at a Calvary of Neosho, and um, I also am a writer. Um, I write for. Uh, several several different publications and uh, my own blog and I have just recently started a project with uh, my friend David Pittman uh, called Trauma to Trauma and uh, so yeah that's uh, and I uh, married and I have uh, two kiddos um, Isaiah and Hannah and uh, like I said we live in Southwest Missouri
0: okay all right um, so what has been your experience working with spiritual abuse? in the church. Yeah. Um, that's kind I mean, in
1: some ways that's kind of a, t- a difficult question just because, um, being a pastor, you probably experience those types of things differently. Um, I think sometimes you can see, um, there's a culture of, uh, that I think that you could call at least bordering on spiritual abuse, uh, sometimes in churches, um, that would be for either uh, sometimes for the pastor himself uh, could be uh, like an abusive culture that could uh, harm pastors, but then I think also there's uh, times when uh, the the culture itself is is harmful for others. And so um, my experience with spiritual abuse i um, this stuff had you know some some instances with uh, just difficult uh, pastorates, um, but uh, yeah. I, that's like I said. That's kind of a kind of a tough question from a for from a pastoral perspective. As far as my experience, because um, I don't think from a pastor standpoint, I don't know that we uh, experience that nearly as much as those within our congregation may be susceptible to those types of things. Well,
0: and maybe younger pastors would experience that more if they're not having good leadership. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes that's, I mean, that's one of the things that you can sometimes see is that just the lack of, as a younger pastor, sometimes coming into a church, sometimes there's culture and certain things that uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would totally feel comfortable calling it spiritual abuse, um, but there's things that, that can certainly be abusive um, to a pastor and pastor's family.
0: Most definitely. Um, how do you feel like the church cultivates oh church culture cultivates victim blaming?
1: Yeah. Um yeah, that's a good question. Um I, I think that um I think that there is uh, definitely a, a culture to uh protect uh the institution. Um, instead of uh, victims or survivors, uh, there is certainly a uh, propensity to, uh, like if a, a victim or, or someone, a survivor comes and says that something has happened, um, I think a lot of times uh, the church's first instinct is to try to figure out how to uh, protect the church, protect the church's reputation, those types of things, and we don't uh, tend to have our first response being protecting uh, survivors or victims. And so... I think that in and of itself uh, kind of can create a culture of victim shaming uh, where you feel as if, if you've shared something, uh, you feel as if you are doing something to cause harm uh, to the church or to cause uh, harm to the reputation of Christ or the reputation of the pastor or, or whatever. Um, and so I think that that certainly uh, creates a culture where there's victim, victim shaming and um, then as you go on down the process sometimes, I mean, there are some some situations that are very uh, very bad about that, where a survivor uh, who has to who uh, shares their story uh, may not be believed, and not just not believed but actually uh, shamed and uh, called all sorts of horrendous horrendous names.
0: Yes. Um, I'm also thinking more on the lines of the purity culture being used against them.
1: Yeah, I think that certainly, I think that certainly can happen. Um, what, what do you What do you mean when you say that?
0: Um, I feel like I don't know. Especially when they talk about it in youth group, there's no room or no, like there's not been space, at least when I was there, or and I don't know what they do today because. The knowledge is better, and some churches are much better at this. But, you know, I guess I felt like purity was shoved down our throats, but nobody ever talked about what happens when you're abused in those situations.
1: Oh, right, yeah. That you feel (laughs) as if you have, um, yeah, when they give those illustrations uh, that are just very unfortunate and unhelpful and can be incredibly harmful um, of things like... uh, a rose that doesn't have its petals left, or a piece of chocolate cake that's been passed around. Um, I don't think that that really is sensitive. Sometimes to those who, um, those who even like intention are intentionally made mistakes by their own bad choices. It's not good for them, but it's doubly, I think, harmful for those who who have had those types of things taken from them, um, and then to feel as if they are part of. Um, yeah, part of the guilt of that, I think, certainly. So I think, you're, yeah, I think you're right. I think that, that can definitely play into that.
0: Um, how do you think the church could do better with helping uh, sexual abuse victims? Oh, man. Um,
1: I mean, I think there's a, a ton of ways that the church can do better with that. One is, I think, uh, just being having open lines of communication, uh, making it to where there are... Um, Knowing that, knowing that if you make a—if um, you share your story, that you are going to—there's going to uh, there's gonna be a posture of belief, um, a posture of being taken seriously, um, to have proper channels uh, that are there for those conversations. Um, I think also helping churches to understand uh, that preferential offenders are far more common than the stranger danger, um, and so thinking about ways to protect, uh, doing training uh, for churches— uh, church leaders um, it goes far beyond just uh, policy uh, and procedures it goes beyond it goes to uh, just opening up those conversations I mean I think that that's been one of the things that we've seen where we've had help where we're just honest about those things and uh, speaking those in such a way where I don't believe in our um, congregation I think you would you'd probably feel really uncomfortable um, if you were a uh, uh, one who is abusing others, because um, those are those are things that I address often from the pulpit. Um, those are things that just within the culture of our church, I think you would not feel not feel nearly as welcome. Um, and so, I think that those are some ways that you can do that, that you can help to create a culture there, just a culture of openness and vulnerability, and those types of things where we uh, continually respond to vulnerability with love instead of with. Uh, uh, shame or any of those types of things.
0: Um, how do you think the church could do better with helping with domestic violence?
1: Yeah, um, definitely. That's another good question. Um, I think it's the same answer in some ways, but I think it also has a few different things because uh, domestic, domestic violence is one of those things that we, I think talk about even less than things like sexual abuse. Um, I think there's cultural changes. I think uh, training and preaching on and discipleship and those types of things when uh, talking to men about what it means to uh, be a good husband and how those two things do not match at all. Um, But also uh, having things within your culture where, again, there's places of safety. Um, I think taking those things serious, uh, having some – even having things like a safe house, having things that we're uh, families that we know are going to be open to uh, receiving uh, someone who needs to get out. Um, I think also having pastors who are trained in how to help uh, is is a good thing. Uh, there's some good resources out there. Um, there's a one recently uh, when uh, when home hurts. I think is is the name of it by uh, Jeremy Pierre. Um, and then what was the other one? There's another one that just came out pretty recently in that area as well. And I think that I'm, I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see some conversations opening up on that um, because the reality is, is that uh, just statistically speaking, um, women are probably safer walking on the streets than many, many of them are probably safer walking on the streets than they are going to their own home, um, just statistically speaking. And so it's, it's definitely something that we need to be looking at.
0: Okay. What are things that trigger you working in the church today? Um,
1: what do you mean what do you mean by that? Help, help me out with that question just for well, I
0: mean, I don't know how much of this do you see on a daily basis
1: and except, yeah, how like much, how much uh, spiritual abuse I see on a see daily that. basis how how much. Working with abuse uh,
0: victims. Well, I guess what, second what secondhand trauma. I guess.
1: Okay, so yeah, what are the things that trigger me for uh, having worked mm. with those who are survivors? What are things that trigger me? Or uh, are you are you kind of speaking to like red flags, or or more so things that actually are difficult for me to, that are kind of triggering?
0: Uh, for me? Difficult for you and triggering for you as somebody on the outside.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, in some ways I'm actually, I mean, I'm, I'm not entirely on the outside, um, um, having my own, um, I have, I have my own stories in, in many ways. And, uh, so there's things with that, that I'm not just, uh, a pastor who has not had significant trauma in my own past. And so it's a little bit difficult of a question because, um, I think the things that trigger me may not necessarily trigger me just because I'm a pastor. It probably triggers me because of certain, uh, certain things that I've had experienced in my own life. Um, but to answer that question, um, uh, some of the, the triggers or red flags or some of those things, uh, there are sometimes, uh, aspects of very controlling personalities. Um, those, those are often triggering, um, I mean, I can I can share one. Um, having been to a uh, church, I, I had a really difficult experience um, at a previous previous church, where um, I had probably I, this is probably an exaggeration in some ways, uh, but this is what it felt like to me was that for about an entire month, um, I had just because of a certain certain decisions that we had made. Um, I had people coming into my office uh, just wanting to yell at me and just uh, up and down, just really just lay into me. And uh, I had that happening almost daily. Um, And uh, my office was right by where the the doorbell was to to get into the church. And uh, the phone would ring and those types of things. And I did not realize what kind of an impact that had on me. Um, But when I went to my uh, current church, which is... um, Man, just been such a such a blessing for us. But going to my current church, uh, I didn't realize for the first um, the first probably month or so, uh, anytime the doorbell would ring, anytime the phone would ring, um, our secretary now she she like will handle so many of those things and uh, filter filter through those. Um, but for me, anytime I would hear the doorbell or the phone ring, I would immediately get anxious, um, just because I was assuming that it was going to be something like that. Uh, someone coming in to, to yell at me or something of that sort. And so I had to work through that. I had to work through just what is, you know, knowing and feeling safe. And so I know that that's something that there's several trigger terms, situations, a lot of those things uh, for uh, survivors within our churches. Um, there can be things just as triggering, even like reading reading the Bible sometimes can be triggering for people. And so just having to be sensitive to those types of things.
0: Okay. Um, What are things that used to trigger you inside the church that you have overcome? Oh, I think I
1: answered that one just now. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that would definitely be one of, you know, just uh, helping myself to know that uh, trying to remind myself that I am safe in in certain situations uh, has been difficult. And again, I know that for some, they still do not feel safe. And so they still have to continue to work through some of those triggers. But for me, it was just going through um, remembering the presence of Christ, that, that Christ is with me uh, no matter where, and that the present situation is not the same as uh, past situations. And so that has helped me considerably just to kind of re- know that, to know that sometimes I may be having a trauma response more so than what is reality. And so just kind of stop, breathe, kind of ground myself, and uh, try to live in the moment rather than having the past impact the, the present. Okay.
0: Um. How has how has God helped you deal with the fundamentalism and legalism inside the church? Um. Help me out with that.
1: Help me out with that question. What do you? Give me kind of an example of what you're what you're moving there.
0: I mean. If you've been to, um, fundamentalism, legalism, kind of, you're in the Southern Baptist arena. It's basically, it's basically where fundamentalism and legalism grows like a weed.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, can, Can be. Um. Yeah, I think, um, how have we dealt with that? Again, I think it's just really, it's, it's a matter of of actually wrestling with the Scriptures um, and actually just not being, not settling for comfortable answers, um, but allowing ourselves to be uncomfortable with some of the things with God's Word and just being honest in those things. Um, I think also, too, just confronting some of those things when we see it. And just just living and having authentic community with others, I think, is considerably helpful. Because I think fundamentalism and legalism and those types of things, I think what they do is often those those grow out of fear. And and I think the more that we can see our sufficiency in Christ and and our identity grounded in Jesus, the more the more gospel there is. Um, it really is if it's if it's truly again. That's one of those words that sometimes can just be like a. Uh, just like a buzzword, you know, like a gospel-centered church, it can just be a buzzword. But if you truly are centered on the gospel, um, and you, which means you are going to be increasingly looking like and acting like and being like um, Jesus and responding like Jesus and all of those things, that it's really hard for legalism and fundamentalism and those things, depending on how you define them. Um, it's really difficult for those to, to, to have a home there. Um, and you can see that with how Jesus interacted with those who would be, probably by some definitions, legalistic, fundamentalist. Um, and so just seeing how Jesus interacted with them. And if we're increasingly like Jesus, I think you're going to see less and less of those things. And so, I, I mean, I, for me, I would just say that the way that God uh, rips those things out of my heart is by Uh, A couple of things. One is just uh, curiosity, just increasing curiosity, being okay with asking questions, uh, knowing that I could be wrong, Um, but ultimately it's having my identity in Christ. That's what allows me to be curious. That's what allows me to ask questions, um, because I know that my identity in Jesus is unchanging, and so that helps with with some of the other other things. Um, I would also say that... uh, Probably about oh, 10 years ago, maybe, something like that, um, God had me stumble upon uh, John Newton, who is the guy who wrote uh, Amazing Grace. That's how he's most known. But um, He had a ton of, of hymns and poems and just a lot of uh, letters and a lot of stuff that was just really helpful. And uh, One of those for me that I think was really life-changing was a, a little letter he wrote called On Controversy. Um, and it was just about, he was confronting a young man who was wanting to argue with everybody about uh, reform theology and just all sorts of things. And uh, Newton, the way that John Newton responded to this young man was just, it was changing for me. Um, because he helped me to see that if, if we truly believe what we say we believe, um, then we're able to allow others to be molded and shaped by the Lord. And we don't have to, as Newton would say, bang notions in the head. Of people, we, would, we don't have to do that. We can just entrust Him to the Lord. And again, I think that's also a, a way that legalism and fundamentalism are battled, is just with believing that God is in control and that God actually loves people more than we do, and He's able to shape and shepherd and all those things, and just entrusting others to God's care, I think also cuts the legs out of legalism and fundamentalism.
0: Okay. So what is one thing that you pray for that you'd want the most for the churches or for, uh, for the churches you work with today? Yeah.
1: I mean, honestly, I I know it sounds really, really simplistic, but the truth is, is just to be, just to be in unity with Jesus, to, to be in union with Christ, to know Jesus, to make him known. um, That's really the key thing is that, that Christ would be our focus. Um, That is, that is the prayer. Um, I think that that's the answer to so many of the different concerns and the questions and all those things that we have. I think Jesus, um, tells us how to live and how to walk and he empowers and inspires and all of those things. And so just having a relationship with like a real true, honest living relationship with Jesus. Again, I know that that's one of those buzzwords, um, But I I don't mean that in the buzzword um, way. I mean, like, honestly, truly knowing Christ and being able to wrestle with hard things. And uh, that's what I I would pray for the church. And in that, I think it means standing with Jesus um, as he stands with the vulnerable. And um, not just building an institution or anything like that, but just honestly, truly um, standing with Christ.
0: Um, what advice would you give to ministers today that are dealing with spiritual abuse personally and in their congregate or trying to help their, uh, congregations?
1: Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think, are you, are you meaning like if, if a pastor is... Being spiritually abused by their congregation. Um, do you mean if a pastor is spiritually abusing mm-hmm. themselves? What do you? What, what angle are you uh, looking I mean, at there? spiritual
0: abuse can come in all forms. So, sure. Um, but you know, either dealing with it personally or helping their congregation.
1: Yeah. Um, I think if it's, if it's dealing with it personally, um, I think one is um again, having your identity in in Jesus is going to be huge. Um, Knowing that um, you don't have to be a punching bag, um, trying to be and become a non-anxious presence, I think is going to be huge. Um, If you're just trying to change the culture in a church, um, I would say know that you've got some tough sledding. Um, It's going to be difficult. Um, Those types of things do not, uh, those idols do not fall easily. And so be able to be committed to being in, in that for the long haul in some ways. Um, but also know that, um, you're not Jesus, uh, you're not the savior. And so, uh, just keep, I mean, again, I think it's, it's really pretty simple with a lot. I think it's preach, preach Jesus and live Jesus and love people. And as you continue to do that, I think you, you begin to see uh, a culture change. Um, I think there's others with specific situations. I mean, I could give probably some more specific answers, but, uh, just kind of broadly speaking, that's really what I would say is just something I mean, to, cling to Jesus.
0: Okay. Um, what do you do for self-care? Yeah.
1: What do I do for self-care? That's a good question. Um, one is my wife is amazing. Um, and so I, uh, am increasingly learning to trust my wife. Um, with my self-care um so that is self-care is for me to trust my wife and if she senses and feels and uh thinks that i'm kind of going in a spot where i'm kind of going off the rails a little bit or i've been working too hard or certain things are not uh gelling quite right with with what's going on in my internal world i think uh, she's able to read that and so i've learned to trust her um also just uh spending time as much as I can in uh, scripture and uh, prayer, but then also it's it's doing some things just uh, just woodworking, um, taking a walk, um, reading, a, reading a good book that doesn't have anything to do with the stuff that I'm, I'm working on. Uh, sometimes uh, journaling and uh, writing and those things can help as well. Um, but really the big thing is just kind of being aware and, and knowing myself and knowing whenever I'm getting to that are not healthy and, and trying to, to do things
0: to pull back from that. Okay. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add? No,
1: I don't think so. I think that uh that's those are those are good questions. All right. And I appreciate you uh, having me on your your okay.
0: show. Alright guys, thanks for listening. This is Rachel in Recovery. Tune in on Thursdays at ten AM. You can also follow us on your favorite podcast or on your favorite social media platform or if you have any questions go to rachelonrecovery.com. Thanks!